everyone, and welcome to the Winged It F1 podcast. It's been a massive week for Formula One in the news, and with myself, Nigel Chu, to discuss it all. I've got Freddie Coates. Freddie, uh, in the last couple of hours, we've heard Michael Massey has been sacked uh, or removed from his position. What, are you, what is your initial reaction to that? Oh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that he's out from race direction. I thought they were going to do some sort of bolstering of his role. And we've seen a lot from the FIA that, that they're very good at gathering around their man and, and sort of, you know, throwing the fire back at those who are criticising. But this is a very indifferent take on a controversy from the FIA and they've removed him from his role as race director. I really, I was surprised. And I, I think a bit of me was kind of of the mindset of like, oh, it's actually happening. Because I think we've all had this kind of thought, well, maybe, maybe, maybe for the past two months or so. And I'm just a bit on the, on the side of, oh, wow, it's actually happened. Yeah, I think that's how I kind of feel. I thought it wouldn't happen. I thought they would kind of not hide it, but just, I guess, protect Massey more and give him more support, perhaps, which they've done, but not for Massey. They've done it with the new replacements who are Eduardo Freitas and uh, DTM race director Niels Vitek. Vitek, oh, I want to say. Those replacements... They're both very, very experienced. They know what they're doing. So I think they've made a sensible choice there. Um, Freitas, as well as Freitas, is one of the most... Um, we would probably have been the most experienced race director after Charlie Whiting back in the day and would definitely be the most experienced race director on the FIA's books at the moment. He's basically been the man at WEC for the past 20 years um, as World Endurance Championship, as World Sports Car Championship before that. Le Mans is his sanctuary and is so sort of well well run because of his cool calm collected dealings um i think he's a fantastic addition i think i think he will still presumably be able to carry on with his work role as well because obviously we have the alternative to a race director of uh niels Wittich, um who is the dtm guy as you've mentioned um i know a little bit less about um Visit from DTM, my, my sort of one main um, thing from DTM is that usually it's it's pretty good, a pretty solid championship, but it does tend to then become a bit a bit bullshy and a bit bumpy and bargy. And I think none more than the 2021 season finale of DTM, which um, was the the fast to end all motorsport fastest until Abu Dhabi happened. So for Formula One, so I don't know. And there's a few question marks there, but I think he. I think he conducts a very safe racetrack and a very um, tight operation uh, from what I've from the limit, the limited world of what I've seen of, of his action. I mean, obviously um, it's very rare for a race director to be the star. And if you're only dipping your toe in the water, as was my experience with DTM, I'm not going to know much about the race director, um, but from those in the know, um, I think he's a decent appointment. I think, my one problem is having two race directors across the season. Will there be some kind of inconsistency, which we've already seen in F1, but will there now be that, I guess, natural inconsistency, that indirect uh, thing that might happen? That is my only problem with it, because there's no other Miltus World Championship that I know of 
has more than one race director. I think a few things I'll put to that, and there's no other race championship that I know of that, apart from um, really NASCAR, that has this many races. Um, and so it's a heavy, heavy load of a job. And I think bringing in two, arguably, I know this, we can counter this with the stewards perspective of like what you were alluding to an inconsistency in formula one but i think you can counter it by saying that um having two race directors makes everything more rigid because everything has to can't be done on a personal whim can't be done on a kind of dealership basis in a way that there is the way that we've seen sort of in the past with a kind of like collaborative approach to race direction this is going to be very much a top-down approach to restrict to, to, to strict race direction because two people need to enact this in the same way. And for Massey himself, uh, the FIA said that he will be now taking a new role. We don't know what that will be. Do you have any sympathy for him? Um, I kind of do. I feel like Michael Massey is a product of the FIA and I think the FIA kind of doesn't help itself and it's no doubt that... no. I think it's not a, it's not, what's the word? It's not chance. It's not luck that a figure sort of with the kind of inconsistency, but kind of like a aforementioned collaborative approach as Mazzy kind of was developed through the FIA system. Because I think everyone's been very crit critical of the FIA, rightly so, over majority of Mazzy's tenure, majority of Whiting's tenure as race director um, and so on. Because the FIA deserves criticism because as an organization it's fundamentally a political and flawed organization it's not a it, it, it views itself as a governing body which it is in in name but on top of that it's it's chaos so no wonder there's going to be a kind of um I'm trying to have the correct adjectives here but a kind of a incomplete sort of attitude to race direction and so i do feel a bit of sympathy for mazzini he, he is the guy who's being set off to new pastures he's the face of this debacle but to be fair to him he was the guy who on the f1 on the ground for formula one the buck stopped at him and he made the decisions so i think i feel sympathy for the position he's ended up in but i don't feel sympathy with regard to some of his decisions across sort of abu dhabi and across the sort of 2020 2021 and well 2019 motorsport seasons as a whole where he presided there were too many mistakes, big mistakes as well for me. I mean, you think of 2020, Imola with the marshals out on track and the safety car, and then I think qualifying that same season in Turkey uh, when the cars were sent out early on might be in practice. It was practice or qualifying. Qualifying too. No, Q2. But Freddie knows. Uh, <laughs> and then we got Baku, obviously, last year with a safety car, late safety car, the Belgium farcical as well. Uh and then Abu Dhabi's to top it off. There were just too many incidents, and all of which were probably mostly his fault, I'd say. So I think, naturally, once you make too many of those mistakes, just like a racing driver, if you make too many mistakes, you lose your job, or you lose the position you're in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's not gone completely. I think the FIA are doing a very good thing to keep him within the... Organization, so you still expect? have some kind of uh, uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, it's, it's tough, I, and, and he'll, he'll have found the last few months very difficult as well. I mean, that's where I sympathize, sympathize a bit because 
Last few months, it must have been through absolute hell, uh, you know, because uh, the backlash has been absolutely huge. So it's difficult, but ultimately, it's the right thing to do. Uh, yeah. And I think, I think that's how many people... It, it would have been hard to defend keeping Massey. I think that's where, 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 where I'm at. Yeah, I, I agree. It would have been hard to defend him. And I think that's what I alluded to sort of at the start, is that I expected them to try because I kind of feel like that's everything that the FIA does is they do defend the indefensible sometimes. And and granted, that's that's the way of a political organisation. So I'm very impressed that they've come out swiftly and sort of changed this and taken things on board and, you know, reacted to a failure. And I mean, they've not outwardly criticised themselves, but they've outwardly said, there needs to be reform and that's you know that's pr spin speak for there were there were mistakes and it was bad and we want to make it good again so i think yeah hats off to them for doing that and to um ben Silayan, as fa president he, he got thrust into the fire a bit on sort of his first day he was elected about a week after abu dhabi and then everyone went off for christmas and eventually, when everything kind of came back, which is fair enough, and sort of second week of January, they've they've in about four weeks, four and a half weeks, working weeks, they've enacted this plan. So, yeah, I mean, he, some of the decisions he's already had to make in his first two months in that position, there's some of the biggest we've ever seen in F1. So, I mean, the race director, race director's never been removed because I mean, I mean, there's only been what single figure race directors I guess it's guessing six or seven because Charlie Whiting was in that role for 30 40 years I want to say so yeah, yeah. um so, I, think, I yeah the history of race directors is a whole different kettle of fish because it used yeah. to be part of the course and local people oh, yeah. and I think I think it's sort of only in 96 97 where Charlie Whiting became a sort of in-house race director um but that's he was there for 22 years then on top of that and really was there in the team prior to that um and Freitas is someone who sort of came through that kind of crop earlier and then as well with WEC and sports cars. So he seems to be a logical person to come into the role. I think bringing it back to sort of the sympathy for Massey, that's kind of, this is kind of the role that was sort of born for him. He's the guy who's been brought up through the system for this role. And it's just a shame that it's, it's sort of, I don't know, fallen around him and crumbled, but mm. oh well. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the support uh, initiatives the FIA have come up with for the new for the new race directors is a virtual race control room. It's going to be a bit like VAR in football, and we all know how well that's gone, especially in the Premier League. Uh, it will be positioned in that's one of the FIA fun. offices as a backup outside of the circuit. Uh, obviously, going to use some kind of modern technology as well. So. We don't know too much about how it's going to work. We're probably only going to find out when they have to use it. But again, it sounds like something that's a step in the right right direction, I feel. Yeah, I think it is. It, it's the closest we will get to permanent stewards, I think, in the near future for Formula One. Um, it's It doesn't take anything away from the original stewards' decision at a racetrack if a five-second penalty is implemented by the three or four stewards you have in the office at I know Barcelona, for instance, um, then that five-second penalty will be applied. But there is not. I, 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 my impression is that there'll be 
an opportunity for review through that system and so on. Maybe it means that penalties take a bit longer to come through, or maybe it means that um, penalties can be altered and so on, but I don't know. It does provide, if there's not sort of any kind of sort of clarification or lots of things, it does provide a lot of necessity for potentially a mess with two stewarding situations. Um, I don't know how closely they're going to work together. I don't know whether it's going to be, whether um, third match official TMO is more of um, what you have in rugby, international rugby, is going to be more of a, um, a, a better comparison than VAR because maybe it will be then kind of a recommendation of a, of a, stewarding decision to the stewards rather than a opportunity to review like you have with VAR and football but obviously VAR and football is just a big name to something that was in rugby and cricket for years so I think really it's going to be more like that kind of thing where it's kind of a recommendation of a decision or a um, review of a decision but um, at the end of the day it doesn't take away from the stewards on the ground in the named region Track. It's one of those things where, I'd say with stewards, where if we don't hear about them too much, then they're doing a good job. So, you know, we've heard about it now. I'm kind of hoping that we kind of forget that this initiative is in place, to be honest, and we don't really hear too much about it. But we'll see, we'll see how it works. If they become yeah. the story very early on, then that means it's a failure. You're right. Yeah, that's there. Yeah. And another thing is the radio communication that we all heard last year, especially with Mercedes and Red Bull, that is now gone, uh, which was discussed uh, after after the end of last season. I think Total Wolf talked about it as well in his media duties after Abu Dhabi. Like, now that's something where I feel the audience... I I liked hearing it, to be honest. I I, I did like hearing it. So You did? Yeah, I did. I, I, so oh, I'm, I certainly I'm liked hearing that it. Story. I thought it was incredibly interesting, mm-hmm. but, you know, it did expose a lot, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I don't think it's been removed to cover backs, actually. I don't think that's the case, because I think the the impression with it was phenomenal, and everyone loved hearing it and hearing the discussions and so on. Um, obviously, it didn't show um, race direction in the best light, and it didn't show team principles in the best light and team management. Um, so, really, everyone in that kind of situation the sort of, for want of a better word, the stars of the show were um, kind of shown off a bit in a bit of a negative light there, which you kind of feel that you can't have an impassioned conversation about safety when you think it could be publicly broadcast. Um, but you can, and they did. But I think really what, what why it's really not there anymore is because they've simply taken away the channel. <laughs> I think, I think really, if, you, if, if there was still an opportunity for team management to be speaking to the race director, it would still be there. I think they've taken it away from the broadcasts because it's not a thing anymore. Team management can't speak to the race director live. Yeah. So they'll still be able to ask questions uh, for well-defined, non-intrusive uh, processes. So I think things like safety can still be brought up, but we won't be yeah, here. Curbs and practice sessions, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we won't be hearing any more of the, uh, what's it called? Persuasive games. Yeah, lobbying. Lobbying, uh, from, especially from Red Bull and Mercedes, which, which we heard last year. So I well, think all, it's of them, all of them. We had, there was a, I think Baku was an interesting one. During the red flag period, um, the team manager of McLaren got onto, onto the mm. blower and said, 
everyone behind us deserves a penalty because of this and what these people do. And Mazzy's like, well, everyone's doing it, so everyone deserves a penalty. And that was one of the things that really annoyed me, actually, at the time. I was like, well, give them all a penalty, I said. I wrote a whole article about it. But um, it was kind of it was kind of like, yeah, there's everyone's toing and froing and saying, pointing and pointing the fingers and that kind of thing. I think just an opportunity for that to calm down is just a bit easier. Um, yes, you can say, oh, we think this is happening. You can put in requests and so on. And, you know, the, the classic, oh, we're on the phone to Charlie, that kind of thing. Um, or we've let Michael know, that kind of stuff that's been going on in the past years. There will be um, a possibility for that, but it will be, you know, way further down the rung of race direction. And the third and final thing from the FIA announcement this week is the unlapping procedure. Uh, they say that this will be assessed at the next F1 commission, which will be before the start of the 2022 season. What do you think this could be for any coats? Um, it's a difficult one. Um, that unlapping is unlapping is unlapping. It, it says it on the tin. It's an easy thing to get your head around. But it, and as a concept, it is a fairly nice rule that you allow cars that have been unlapped to unlap themselves and they're going to have a nice restart to the race. Everyone's in procession. Everyone's able to race each other. And it's simple. I think what will happen there, and everyone's done the distance of the race, but I think a cleaner system for this is to um, just send the cars to the back of the queue. Don't make them do a full lap round. Just send them to the back and let them organise themselves. And I think that that's been touted for years by certain people in the sport, in the cars, people around the sport, just saying at the end of the day, they're still in that position. They're just back there. Yes, they maybe got two kilograms, a kilogram more of fuel, that kind of thing, which is there. But I think, I don't know, I feel like that's a, a solution that's going to be heavily discussed over the next few weeks. Um, and I think there'll be an overwhelming consensus um, among people that no one can agree on it. I don't like that. I don't like that. Yeah, you don't like I, it. I think because the problem with that is, if ten, let's say tenth place has just been lapped by the leader and he's battling with ninth, ninth place hasn't been lapped, then suddenly tenth place is nearly a lap behind ninth place, and that's not right for me. That is my big, big problem with that. Uh, why would they be a lap behind? Because if tenth place is dropping to the back, oh no, they would lose. They would they would get put back onto the main lap. Oh, so, so they still do the wave around? Yeah, it, it's not a wave around, but it's, it's a wave around, but just to the back of the queue. So it's essentially like, say it's a 50-lap race, they do a 49-lap race, but they're, um, but they're well, on the lap. The ninth place will still be a lap ahead, basically. No, place be a lap ahead in theory, but, I mean, say before the safety car came out, it was five seconds difference. Then yeah. it would just be like exactly the same at the end of the safety car. I, 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 does that make sense? It's just kind of like, say you've got, five cars lapped then those five and they're sort of say they're in between the first and third place say those five yeah. cars just pull to the side um fourth place to 14th place goes past them and they just slot into the back again and then they're on the lead lap yeah but the time they won't be on the lead lap on, on the time on the timing thing will they well that, that the timing thing would be outdated. <laughs> that that, that no, doesn't no, matter. Because no. if, if it's a new procedure, they're going to implement the procedure. They're not going to just use random systems, are they? Yeah. Um, it, it, I think, Still, yeah. Obviously, there's questions to it based on 
but they haven't actually done that part of the race. And if then a car, say, as lap and then goes through and then ends up in a decent position because of that, then you could say that. But it's kind of like it, may, it makes it makes negligible difference in my eyes. And I kind of think it's going to be discussed, but I reckon the reassessment of the lapping procedure will amount to um, it being the same. What I would do is <laughs> I would just not have an unlapping procedure. I, I think safety car periods should just be as short as possible and you should just let them go no matter where they are. See, I, I don't like that. Because yeah. like you say about your say your ninth place hasn't hasn't been lapped and your tenth place has, then the tenth place oh, yeah. it's that kind of thing. The ninth place then is definitely a lap ahead. And I think I think the suggestion, the idea that I um uh put forward onto the table. No, it's not my idea, it's other people's idea. The idea I just I I, I don't know, the idea that I've um, <laughs> just spoken about. Um, <laughs> on the wing of the F1 podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. like it keeps the competition for 20 cars yeah doesn't cut it out and I think the main thing with this with the unlapping stuff and the, the criticism over, over Abu Dhabi precisely is that it just reduced it made the competition only about the guys at front and I think they're going to do everything they can to make sure every car is included in unlapping procedures as 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 a matter of sacred right not a matter of just a rule that we could ignore if we want to yeah um, so i think my, my idea every yeah. car has to go or no cars go i think will be enshrined in the most codified constitution of law possible well maybe should they, they should just keep it how do you how they did because the old system or the current system had no problems really it's just it wasn't used in the finale it wasn't used That's, in the finale i think the issue is um that some people can be feeling a bit kind of like, like you say, it goes on for a long time, but um, which is a difficult one, which is kind of like interesting. It depends how they just back up, really slow down the safety car, and that might be better. But um, who knows? Who knows? We'll see what they put forward. But I, I think really what we're going to get is we're just going to get a few more lines of text that say all cars need to be used in the unlapping procedure. Maybe they'll make unlapping compulsory rather than making it out of discretion. Um, yeah just you know just to make it enshrined and i think to be honest that's fair enough by me yeah i'd agree we'll see what they do and we will discuss it then uh probably so won't it'll probably be nothing unless it's something yeah it probably won't be anything yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably <won't. laughs> we'll see we'll see we'll see if there's any major real changes uh with the unwrapping of cars uh so that was all from the fia uh announcement on thursday but there's been more big news this week regarding the sprint format the original plan of six has been scrapped uh, that's been confirmed now because of budget cap and accident cost uh disagreements that's called them between the teams and the, and yeah. the fia uh, so there's going to be three sprints in imola the red bull ring and in Slagos yet again we'll have the sprint just like we had last year and pole position will be or the term put or the pole sitter will be the person who's fastest in qualifying, but it'll still be the same format as last year, where the winner of the sprint race uh, starts on. Well, I can't, I can't say pole starts from pole from pole position, as in the position on the starting grid. Oh, that made sense. <laughs> so, make sense, but yes, pole position also, is the fastest in qualifying, and the sprint sets the places for the Sunday race. There we go. Uh, and the top eight is going to score points, so eight points for the winner, which if you think about it, a one-third race 
giving out one third of the points of the, for the winner at least. That's mathematically correct. <laughs> mathematically decent. Um, the only difference in my eyes is on it too many, second though? is then seven points, which is a bit okay. Um, which then, if you're talking about mathematically, would then be six points and so on. But um, that well, I, it, think, I think this works nicely in my books. Um, eight, yeah. seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Then from ninth place down at zero. Um, really what these rules kind of do in my eyes is they kind of make the sprint what it is. And that's an extension of the race rather than a new form of qualifying, which is why I'm okay with pole position being the first place starter for the sprint, because really in, in my eyes, this is just the first stint of the race. Yeah. And then, then it's paused overnight and then we have another start and it's kind of like you get sort of, uh, planned caution periods in NASCAR. It kind of gives me that kind of idea in the top of my head yeah. that it's kind of like, okay, well, this is the planned pause. You get these points for here, and now we're going to kick off again here. And this is a restart for the start of the Grand Prix. And I know that it's all going to be like, oh, pole for the sanctity of the Grand Prix and whatever. And it's like, yeah, I get that. But, you know, really, the start of the race is now Saturday afternoon, and then the race finishes on Sunday afternoon. And that's it. That's the kind of perspective I have of that. I'd still rather have no sprint races personally, but I think what they've done is better. You don't mind them? Yeah. Well, I mean... I you finish up with six, then? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm fine with three because I like, you know, I like what you have. I like Formula One. The Formula One I've got to love is the Formula One that's ordinary and so on. Um, but, you know, I won't say no to Saturday, a bit of a race on a Saturday as well, because, you know, let's be honest, in a race, anything can happen. And the same can be said for a sprint and the same can be said for a um, Grand Prix. So, you know, the chances of three being crazy comparatively to 23 being crazy is going to be much lower. So you're obviously going to have a little bit more kind of scope for normality. But, you know, I, I, quite, I quite like, I still get a buzz for it. And mm. I get a buzz for qualifying on a Friday, I get a buzz for the sprint. And I don't really mind about that because at the end of the day, we still got knockout quality and knockout quality can be as tedious as thumb. So I just made up a phrase there. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's that kind of thing. Every bit of Formula 1 can be boring. Every bit of Formula 1 can be exciting. I don't think the sprint is exclusively boring because I think the, the sprint in Silverstone I thought was great. I thought the sprint in Italy wasn't necessarily amazing, but I don't think we can name an interesting bit of racing in Italy in the past 10 years, for instance, apart from maybe... <laughs> So um, you can name interesting results, but interesting racing is entirely different. And then I think... Uh, Riker and Hamilton 2018. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Good point. One. Um, <laughs> Leclerc Hamilton? <laughs> that's the thing. Hamilton just couldn't get close to get past on that. And it, it, in, in, in the Raikkonen one, it came down to one move and that was it. And that kind of thing. It took everything out of him to get close enough to get into the slipstream, one of the longest straights of the calendar. So, you know... Actually, you've made me come up with an idea to defend my point. Um, but yeah, it's that kind of thing. So I think, you know, I think there's potential with sprints anyway with what they've got. Um, and I think it, it, it just falls into the... I think really long term down the line, I think they need sprint race tyres um, that they can just throw the cars around on. I like that. I like that. 
No, I think no, that's, that's really the bigger issue is that it's mostly is the first into the Grand Prix extended. Um, yeah. I like the fact that sometimes you get a car on the medium, sometimes you get a car on soft. So I think that works fantastically in Brazil, but um, and Silverstone. Um, so who knows? I think Imola is an interesting choice for it. Um, but I think would have been my choice, place of choice, to be honest. No, not from a racing perspective. But let's be honest. I think I think they should have done it in Miami um, because. A, Miami's going to be huge and they should make it their big ticket event. And B, because they've never been there before, so make sure they don't do any work on it. I think that'd be amazing. It probably would be hilarious. But, you know, why not? Definitely onto something there. That would have been good. But because yeah, of like... I should Yeah, I should have been announced by all these FIA announcements <laughs> today. It should have been me. But because the sprint schedule was like pushed forward into the evening, they wouldn't have done it because like in Europe it would have started at one a.m. or two a.m. on like the Friday for qualifying. I think they yeah. wouldn't have cared on that front. I Ooh. think I think what F one needs is a prime time slot in the states, and if they dip their toe in the water with a qualifying session on a Friday evening with a prime time seven p.m. Eastern time, say that kind of thing, would have done. They would have got special deals with NBC and stuff like that, they would have been clamouring for it and they would have done well on that, I think. That's a good point, actually. That's a very good point. And and just to touch on the sprints, the last thing for me is the three sprint events last year, uh, <coughs> Silverstone, Monza, Brazil, I mean, they were all epic races in the end, thanks to uh, incidents and drama. So <laughs> will that continue this year? We'll, we'll have to see. Uh, the final talking point from us, uh, or small, well, small in comparison to what we just talked about, is the different point system for the shortened uh, races. So there'll be no more uh, drivers having half points or 0.5 on the champ on the final championship standings. Uh, that's because now you have to have done two green flag green flag laps uh, to get points, and then. There's different point systems depending on if 25%, 50%, of the race has been completed. But, I mean, these are going to be rare instances anyway, so it's not, it's, just, it's not the biggest thing in the world. But I think the two mandatory green flag laps to have points is a, is a very good thing. So the FIA have made some great decisions this week, Freddie. Yeah, I agree. Those on the sort of sliding scale of points mm. awarding for race distance, sort of what is it? Two flag, two lap, green flag laps to twenty five percent, twenty five to fifty, fifty to seventy five, and seventy five to one hundred. And if you go look at the details, you know, you find an article on the race or something on the Autosport, and just look at it, it just is so logical. And it's kind of like, yeah, they've, they've again another example of them looking at an issue and going, okay, let's change it and do this because this seems logical, and it is. And like you say, chances of it happening in the next twenty years are probably you know negligible, um, maybe twice, but. Um, it's a good idea. I think maybe we'll see a few more interesting decisions on wet races if we have some anytime soon, because uh, the rooster tails in these cars, um, 2022 cars, look <laughs> huge, but um, who knows? I think the only one indirect consequence could be is will the race directors try and push to have two green flag laps to get points? That's the only thing. But No, they won't. Again, They'll be terrified. Yeah, that was, uh, but again, let's have the trust with this with the new uh, race directors because I think I think overall for F one it it feels like I guess a bit of a reset in terms of everything. We've got new regulations, new race directors. We've got some uh, a few 
new uh, new rules with the, with the sporting and technical well obviously the technical regulations but with the sporting regs as well so no nonsense FIA like mm, yeah so I think overall good news this week Freddie oh definitely good news from, from a promoter's perspective people can get excited about Formula 1 again I think mm, definitely so We'll see what else comes from the F1 Commission. There's going to be more meetings taking place before uh, the start of the season, which is now just over a month away. We'll have more podcasts as well throughout testing and the final car launches as well. So until next time, we will hopefully be joined by Adam. Uh, from me and Freddie, it's goodbye. <laughs>